Welcome back to Talk Mental Health with Logan Noon. We have on one of my favorite guests, Megan Houghton. Dr. Megan Houghton, now I can refer to you. Yeah. I don't think you've come on as a doctor. No. No, this is my my debut as a doctor, so uh, on a podcast. So pretty exciting to be here. and Super fun to reconnect with you, Logan, or Dr. Yeah. Noon. I don't even know how many times you've been on. Is this maybe your fourth or third? It's either my third or fourth, for sure. I can't recall. Um, And I don't remember the numbers that you've been on previously. So search Megan Houghton if you want to get a detailed history into Megan Houghton. Um, But yeah, I'm really stoked to reconnect with you um, in this way again tonight. Uh, So I guess so the listeners, if this is the first time they're tuning in, can you just say like, you know, where you're at in your training, what you're doing, where you're living? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm a third year family medicine resident. Um, I am in Nampa, Idaho, um, initially from Olympia, Washington. And then I met Logan in medical school in Yakima. So and you're and then, a family med resident, right? Family medicine resident. Hopefully chief graduate resident. In oh, yes, I am chief. Whoop, whoop. La yeah. chief. La jefe. La jefe. Yes. Um, and then it's been really fun to connect with Logan on this podcast because uh, I I have OCD and ADHD and anxiety. And those are the things that we've kind of talked about in this podcast. And I'm excited to talk more about that today. Right, right. And I actually even wrote down some questions. Yeah, it's been kind of cool. Um, you know, I feel like we both helped each other throughout medical school, just kind of with the stress of medical school and all that stuff. And, you know, I haven't necessarily... My bipolar disorder has certainly evolved in my management of it, but I haven't necessarily developed um, different conditions or I haven't been diagnosed with different things over the years. And it's been very interesting to be um, just part of your life and and see how medical school and now medical training, of course, in residency has, you know, I know you were, I believe you were diagnosed with OCD prior to medical school, right? Yeah, I was diagnosed officially at age 19 in college, although- okay. I'm sure I had it years before then. Right, and then, of course. Yeah, the ADHD diagnosis wasn't until, uh, officially wasn't until um, medical school. Yeah, so, so I don't want to, you know, rehash old things. If you guys want to hear about those specific um, experiences prior to medical school or during medical school, uh, search Megan Houghton in your uh, podcast search bar. It's very easy to find it. Um, so what I really want to hear about, though, is like how your OCD and ADHD has evolved, changed, improved, or maybe gotten worse during medical residency as a family med doc? Yeah, great question. Well, so one thing that's happened since the last time we chatted that has been super monumental is um, I found an awesome therapist here in Idaho who also has OCD and ADHD. Interesting. Um, And um, I'm the type of person I really appreciate when providers can be vulnerable with me. Um, and cause I kind of do that in my own practice. Um, I do feel like, um, my experiences with my ADHD and OCD have really helped me with patients, especially in family medicine, um, who are when they're trying to figure out, oh, I think I need some help. What should I do? And then just trying to normalize that. Yes. Even your doctor has been through this and everything, but, um, my therapist has been really helpful for me because, um, I'm realizing more that a lot of the things I always thought I attributed to my OCD is actually a lot of his ADHD, um, believe it or not. Um, partly because especially women with ADHD, um, it doesn't necessarily manifest as much as like, you know, your stereotypical, um, as we think of like men and boys. Um, and so 
that's been really cool to learn more about myself um, in terms of I always thinking, oh, this, I have these behaviors because I have OCD. And yeah, I'm sure that's part of it. But I also realizing, oh, a lot of this is ADHD. And so um, also trying to work with medications as well to find the best regimen to be um, successful as a resident. And is some- it possible that you could give maybe an example if, if you can recall one? Yeah. So, um, you know, a lot of it is like if I have a lot of work I need to do and um, I start feeling those stress levels go up. And so um, like not knowing how to start my work, how to like do things, wanting to do things in a certain order or more quote perfectly in a certain way. I always thought it was more my OCD because I was like, oh my gosh, I have to do it like this. If I don't do it like this, it's going to be a problem. And then realizing that like ADHD can be part of that too, in terms of like having your focus here, there, everywhere. And so finding things like um, I'm currently on extended release uh, Ritalin um, and realize Concerta and realizing that that has been really helpful to aim those thoughts into it and channel them into a really um, productive way. Um, and so that's, that's been super helpful. That's just one example of where I'm like, Oh, okay. Like, yeah, some of that can be the OCD. Um, but also ADHD is part of it and realizing that, you know, you can kind of approach this from multiple angles. Interesting. Interesting. So, you know, was that therapist you found, did you seek out someone who maybe had those conditions or was it just kind of luck of the draw that you met someone that had similar conditions to you? It was luck of the draw. I mean, mm-hmm. my so I had a, a therapist before back in Washington when we finished up medical school, and then I moved to Idaho for residency, and so all my insurance, everything changed. So my first year of, of residency, um, it was hard for me to find a therapist, partly because our schedules are so crazy. So it's like mm-hmm. you know, one week I'm on OB and I'm working twenty four hours on a Monday. Um, another week I'm in the hospital. So like trying to find somebody who meets when I can meet was super hard. So I basically just went to psychology today or can't remember what website it is, where it just like looked for anybody in my area that knew how to do OCD in particular, emailed a bunch of people. And then she was the one that took my insurance. It could be flexible and do telehealth. Um, because, um, She's in Boise. I live in Nampa, which is about 30 minutes away, which when you only have a couple hours off a day, that makes a difference that commute. Um, And it just so happened that she had those conditions. So I just, I got really lucky. So. Interesting. Interesting. Good. So, you know, uh, medical school and residency are are both incredibly taxing, um, but in very, very, very different ways. So I'm curious, like, how those demands impacted your mental health and how you, you know, coped. Yeah, no, I mean, so the thing about residence for residency for me, which has been good is, um, I am much better at interacting with people than my books and my studying. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one thing that's been nice for me about, um, being a resident, even though being a resident in some ways is a lot harder is there's a lot more human interaction and learning from other people and experiences. Um, One thing that has been, I feel very grateful for, one thing I was really dreading um, starting residency was dealing with end of life conversation Hmm. because with my OCD, you know, one of the things that triggers me is like, um, you know, sudden death, um, having to talk to surviving loved ones about what's going on. And I knew that I might have to do that as a resident. 
Um, and so You'll definitely because, have to do that as a yeah, resident. Yeah, do it all the time. <laughs> um, yeah. Exactly. And so that was one thing that was, I was not looking forward to. Um, and then we started residency, you know, in COVID, right? So when I was a first year resident, you know, mm-hmm. on my ICU rotation, like bed after bed after bed was. Or co- COVID like the Omicron COVID, not the OG COVID. <laughs> yes, exactly. Not the OG Omicron. Exactly. And right. so um, it was kind of like, well, here's your opportunity to have these conversations. And um, I've gotten to work with a really, really competent palliative care doctor. Um, and so it was really cool to have some rotations that were just based on palliative care, um, knowing that that's a tool, at least where I practice, because sometimes when you're the point doctor, you have, you know, 12 patients you're taking care of. So you might not have the time you need to have that family meeting about what's going on. But kind of having that exposure, right? So like in OCD, you know, one of the big ways you treat OCD is with exposure response prevention. And so um, one thing that's been fun with my therapist to talk about is like, my job is kind of ERP all the time mm-hmm. with my particular type of OCD, because I, you know, sometimes have to be the one to deliver the bad news. Um, and so, um, yeah, I mean, one experience in particular, I remember I was on night float. So it's where you cover the whole hospital and there was a patient who was a DNR DNI. So they didn't want to be intubated or anything like that. And this woman started to crash. And so they're like, Hey, Dr. Houghton, you need to call this patient's family, tell them that this is what's happening. And, um, so call, gave them an update and then they, the family lived like 30 minutes away. Right. And so, um, she passed away about 15 minutes after that conversation. So, um, I then had to be the one to call to tell the family that their loved one had passed away. And, um, I was all sorts of butterflies about it. And I think that's pretty normal for people to have butterflies about it. No one likes to be the one to deliver bad news. Um, but, uh, I remember being like, well, is it better to tell them in person when they get here? Is it, I don't want them to crash on the way here, but, um, I'm glad. So basically I called the family and was like, are you guys in a safe spot? They hadn't left home yet. And I was like, so your, your loved one passed away. And the first thing out of this guy's mouth was your job must really suck sometimes. Hmm. And I was like, it was such a we- interesting response because, um, you know, I would expect someone to be sad, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I guess this family was kind of ready for that phone call. Um, but anyway, I'm appreciative to that family because um, ever since I've had to do that, I haven't been as afraid of making that phone call because the first time I had that experience. So anyway, that's a long-winded answer to say that, um, yeah, residency, you get in these life and death situations and, um, you know, noticing my OCD revving up, but then having had the training, the therapy, some meds to help as well to like be focused in that moment and need to do what's in front of you to give the best care to your patients. Interesting. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that story. You know, I, um, I, yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to say all us docs or healthcare workers, you know, uh, find those situations challenging. And I think we would also agree that we probably have both seen practitioners handle those um, mm-hmm. experiences really well and also really, really poorly. Um, you know, Megan, you I've known you for, geez, I don't even know how many years now, seven. You strike me as yeah. someone who actually, I would imagine it handles that better than anybody. I'm curious, yeah. you know, do you ever envision yourself 
being a, a, a family doc who works on a palliative or hospice care service. Yeah, I can see that actually, which is, it's funny how, you know, I've, I've thought about this before. Cause I'm like, you know, whatever you believe in, in life, you know, I think sometimes you get thrown something that can be difficult. And then like you're doing Logan too, is like, you take what, been difficult for you and you kind of pay it forward and part of your life journey is moving through this um even if it was particularly difficult for you but like you moving through it is then now helping other people if that makes sense so um Mm -hmm. yeah like it's funny because like i said like i remember being a med student and working with residents on tricky end-of-life situations and be like i don't know if i could ever do that and then um even though residency is super hard i will say it does kind of you fake it till you make it. You get put in these situations regardless if you like them or not. And you're like, I don't know how to do this. And definitely probably residency for me is just being comfortable with being uncomfortable um, in right. certain situations, right? Um, so it's been interesting because it's like, you know, the normal person doesn't see death on a daily basis or doesn't mm-hmm. see life on a daily basis. I mean, one reason why I really like doing obstetrics is I love being there for, you know, babies coming into the world. Although when bad things happen, that can be very devastating as well, obviously. Um, A whole nother level of, you know, trauma and grief that people can go through is losing a child. Um, But yeah, so back to your question, you know, I could definitely see doing that at some point, just because I think it's important to have someone doing palliative care that is good with people and talking to people Mm. um, and presenting information. Um, Because yes, we've definitely seen people who don't do it as well. And sometimes when we're more stressed out, we don't do it as well. And then also we get jaded, you know, like that's a huge problem we get have as healthcare providers. I've definitely felt it myself is when you're burnt out and tired to like people the care they deserve. Well, and just, you know, I, I, someone who can speak to the emotional aspects of the the science, right? The, the, Mm -hmm. well, they passed away because their heart function was only so good and they couldn't pump enough. It's like, yeah, well, the family, like, I don't think really truly cares about those things. They perhaps care about, well, did they suffer at the end? You know, what was it like? And, you know, I imagine that can be hard, especially because you can identify that as one of your triggers for OCD, but, but perhaps by continuously exposing yourself, like you said, um, makes you a master, right? Like I actually, I consider myself as someone who is a good public speaker, but it certainly wasn't always this way. And and like you identified by putting myself in those situations over and over and over, um, I kind of developed that skill set. And and now it's something I truly enjoy, you know, on on the subject of uh, palliative care. I can't tell you how many, you know, psych consults we see as like patients Mm -hmm. depressed. It's like, well, yeah, you told them they're on hospice. It's, it's, it's so Mm -hmm. odd to me how, um, you know, I feel like, certain mental or excuse me, medical professionals feel like people aren't entitled to, uh, an emotional experience. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's part of the, the human condition, the human experience. I kind of want to ask you a different subject though. So, you know, I I know that you got diagnosed with ADHD in medical school and I kind of look at that condition as the demands on our focus. Um, of course we have to be at the utmost focus, detail oriented as a resident, um, and, and of course attending physician, but you know, medical school, we have to sit down for these stupid, insanely long tests and like it's test over test, test or test, test or test. And we have to do that as a resident, you know, we, we have board exams, but there's, 
certainly much less infrequent. So did your treatment of ADHD radically change? Did your symptoms of ADHD radically change when you're a resident able to be on your feet, move around so much more? I mean, I think, you know, as we know, mind, body, spirit is all connected, right? So like, for me, ADHD has overall been better, I think, in residency. Um, And partly, the self-confidence thing. So like one thing about medical school that was particularly hard for me and probably for you as well, though I don't want to speak for you, um, is like, you know, you sit down and take these tests all the time. And like, at least for me, I felt like I was shot down every day being like, you're not good enough based on the score. Me and you were both at the bottom of the bell curve. Yeah. Woohoo. Exactly. So, and in residency, I have not felt like that at all. Like, yes, I like have plenty to learn all the time but I've never felt academically inferior to my peers, if that makes sense. It does, um, which, yeah. Like, and I hate that that's part of, you know, feeling adequate is like, you know, passing tests. But like, I, you know, people wouldn't necessarily know that about me, except that I'm kind of open about it. Um, But um, and so at least for me, you know, I definitely run off positive feedback. And so like in medical school, I felt like, you know, getting those tests back, I just felt like crap a lot of the time. And so then that made my anxiety worse, the imposter syndrome worse, like, should I be here worse? Um, And so then that in turn makes OCD and like ADHD worse, but particularly ADHD, I would say for me, because it's like, oh my gosh, I'm sitting on the study. I don't know what to do. I should do this, 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 and this. Um, And then in um, residency, my ADHD, um, I definitely, I, I found it helpful, obviously with medication, but also, you know, there's a task more in front of me. I mean, like, yeah, there's all these things you need to do all the time, but it's like, you need to finish this chart by this time. You mm-hmm. need to round on this patient by this time. There's a lot more like direction in terms of when you need to have things done. Whereas like, go study. It's yeah. like this whole, like, you know, am I not studying enough? Am I studying too much? You know, whereas here is like, there's always going to be work to be done. So if I need to take a moment to go do something else, I can do that, you know, because you have to say no sometimes. Um, but then day to day, you know, there's right. more tasks, it's more task oriented. So. so I'm very curious. Um, I had someone come up uh, to me and ask me um, some questions, you know, uh, ADHD manifesting or starting um, in adults is, is kind of an area rich of controversy, right? Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And then you also touched on this earlier. I'd like you to expand how ADHD presents much differently in um women than men sometimes like what is your understanding around that what do you mean by that yeah good question and and i don't know i've never actually read any studies on this so i don't this you is can talk all, about your personal experience yeah, and, and then um talking to my therapist as well so um and also i'm like i don't know if it's because we're female or what but like a lot more second guessing yourself um maybe not being not confident, but just being like, um, oh, did I mess this up? Did I do this? Obviously, like staying on task, right? I mean, that's that's something that I think is pretty uh, universal. Um, and then just finding different ways to channel your energy rather than, I don't know. I guess I'm not really making sense with what I'm saying. But mm. uh, and uh, good question, actually. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a nebulous topic and it's, it's so challenging. And and I certainly don't feel like an expert either. You know, like I yeah. feel, uh, identifying, uh, ADHD, uh, hyperactive 
in a, a pediatric patient is very easy. You know, you, when I describe yeah. that, I'm sure everyone's thinking of that seven-year-old boy running around the room and can't sit still for two seconds. But what about that person who has difficulty with attention? So maybe they're yeah. the uh, inattentive type um, mm-hmm. who, you know, isn't as disruptive to the class. So therefore, those um, rating scales that are handed out to teachers mm-hmm. and parents, you know, aren't necessarily going to manifest in the same way. Perhaps not until a tremendous stress like medical school, law school, or uh, maybe even like being a a parent or something at a later age uh, changes that. Um, You know, so me and you, I feel like have a very similar ethos. You know, we're we're open about our experiences. And and that's one thing I really, really respect about you. And I also I also feel um, sometimes like my persona on this podcast, uh, on my social media page is different than I, uh, carry myself in a clinical setting. And here's what mm-hmm. I mean by that. Like I, I find I do sometimes publicly disclose, um, but I'm much more vague than I used to be. Um, uh, Oh, I have a mil- mental illness too. Oh, I, I take medicine too. Um, I haven't had the opportunity to necessarily work in a clinic, um, in a super long-term setting. And what I mean by that is developing like super long-term relationships with my patients that I know for years, maybe even decades. Patients like that, I, I, I imagine I'll disclose details in a more significant way. I guess what has been your experience now as a resident, now that we actually have patients, do you self-disclose in the same way? What uh, situations have gone really well? What situations have gone really bad? Yeah. All right. If you like Talk Mental Health with Dr. Logan Noon, I guarantee you, you will like my other podcast, The Psych Guys, where I'm alongside with my colleague, Dr. June Chung. What do we talk about on The Psych Guys? We produce educational content regarding everything mental health related. So come check us out. Good question. Well, I definitely, so, you know, it's very common for somebody usually like um, around our age, you know, come in and be like, I'm having a rough time with this, this and this. I'm not really sure what to do. I've heard of these options, but I'm not really sure what, what do you think about them? Um, And so a lot of times by the time people have gotten to me, they've already thought of these things. I think a lot of the time, Um, or if they haven't, they've just come and they're like curious about it. Um, which I think is kind of cool. And like, depending on the patient, it's like, you know, you kind of read the room to see like, you know, if they kind of seem closed off, you didn't bring up, like, usually patients will bring it up to me. Like they want to talk about their anxiety and depression. Um, if they don't bring it up, it's a little harder, but if they bring it up to me and they're like, I'm not sure, blah, blah, blah. I'll be like, well, you know, if it seems appropriate, I'll be like, well, you know, I take Prozac and I find that super helpful. It doesn't solve everything, but it helps take the edge off. And then, you know, I see a therapist every week because it's hard to be an adult. And, you know, sometimes my therapists, I mean, I don't, I don't tell them this, but like, you know, I think everyone needs a therapist just to talk about life. Like a lot of times my therapist and I don't even talk about necessarily my OCD or my ADHD. We just talk about, you know, stresses I have as a resident or losing a patient and how that has been for me or like this difficult conversation I had at work. Like, it's just nice to be able to talk that out. But with my patients, you know, I at least bring it up and I don't push it. I'm like, think about it. Let me know. So sometimes they come back and they're like, wow, my, my medicine's really helping me, but I also want to try therapy. Or I also am like, if you send me a message, I'm happy to put a referral in. Um, I've, I had one patient in particular that had OCD. And like, we bonded really well because she was like, 
I was like, so it felt like this, right? And she's like, oh my God, yeah, how do you know? And I was like, well, I, I've, I have felt that same way before. And I actually gave her the name of my therapist. So now she sees my therapist too. Um, Interesting. Yeah, which, you know, it's hard, right? Like I think being a physician, you have to have a like it, fine line, right? Because I understand professionalism, HIPAA, all this stuff. But also like, I feel like in my practice, I want... I'm just a person that went to school for a long time, but I'm a human being and I have these experiences and I can use my expertise to help you, but you're also a human being who's had experiences. And so like, how can we work together to make things better for you? You know, like if it's my patients, you know, there's a fine line. You don't want to make now the whole, you know, appointment about you and your experiences with ADHD and OCD. But if you can use it to be helpful, to empower people I think that can be super helpful. And I know that like some people are like, wow, it's like night and day of difference. Thank you so much for suggesting that. And, you know, I, you know, I try to ask people if they're interested, like, okay, which ones have you heard of? And, you know, they'll tell me, oh, my friend had a horrible time on Zoloft or, oh, my friend did great on Zoloft. So then I'll start them on Zoloft. And, or if they had a bad experience of friend, then I won't start it on them. Um, and then also based obviously on other things going on in their life, like if they're trying to get pregnant or not, whatnot. Right. Right. You know, one thing that I found uh, very fascinating about um, the world of psychiatry, and and I'm sure this isn't just psychiatry, right? But like, you know, the... I, I've interacted with marketing reps all the time, and they come in and they tout that their new shit is the hottest, best thing in town, right? And yep. one thing I've been now learning a little bit more in, in you know, I'm a third-year psych resident now about how uh, clomipramine, the old-school mm -hmm. TCA, um, actually does extremely well for patients with OCD. It's like more serotonergic than some of the old mm -hmm. uh, meds and it can be really powerful. And so this is a med that's been around for, I mean, I don't know exactly how long, but it, it's been around for a long time. Um, have you had any experience prescribing this med or what do you know about this? I mean, does it run across your experiences at all? Well, good question. No, I have not prescribed it myself. Um, I asked about it once for myself. I was a patient. And the person I was talking to at the time, it um, wasn't comfortable prescribing mm -hmm. it. So I've never tried it, um, although I would be interested just to see. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's one of those things like I know that, um, you know, we were just talking before we started recording about fellowships. And I know that like there's been more fellowships for primary care to do more psych stuff, um, which I, but I also feel like sometimes that uh, fellowships are a way to get more free labor out of doctors. But right. um, but because um, I definitely would like to learn more about, you know, medic psych medications in the future. I know that sometimes, you know, with only 20 minutes long appointments, like I will feel uncomfortable, not uncomfortable, but I'm like, I don't want to, you know, send them into serotonin syndrome or something like that. But like, definitely, you know, we have SSRIs are great, but like, you know, OCD is different than depression and stuff, you know, like, I'm on an antidepressant, but I wouldn't consider myself depressed, maybe situational because of residency, but, um, but overall, you know, um, so I would definitely love to depression and remission or partial remission as they yeah. would say on our billing documents. Right. Exactly. And, you know, and it goes in waves. Right. So, but I would be interested to learn more so, about it because, you know, well, I guess you'll have to tune into uh, the Psych Guys podcast, my psych education podcast, Megan. You know, I will. we'll do an episode on clomiphene. That that would really? be fun. Yeah, um, so I've been I've been talking to you. Yeah, 
I've been talking to you for about 27 minutes here, so I don't want to take up too much more of your time. So, you know, look, you have uh, eight more months. Uh, congratulations, by the way, as being a chief resident. Um, and look, I know there's only so much that uh, you can realistically do within this system that's pretty rigid, right? Um but maybe even in an idealistic world, like how would you want to see a residency structured to optimize, uh, you know, mental health, uh, resident well-being, but also simultaneously make sure that all those residents become competent, become achieve all their learning objectives, you know, because I know that part of the residency experience is supposed to be hard. You know, that that difficulty mm-hmm. elicits growth and learning and and it's part of this journey. So what do you think? It's a good question. And I think it might be kind of regional program dependent. I mean, in our program, we just need more residents for the amount of services Mm. we cover. Um, But another thing I've heard, at least in family medicine, which I think is different in every specialty is, you know, family medicine is so broad. So it'd be really nice if you just your first and second year did kind of what I've been doing, which is a little bit of everything. But then your third year, you got to focus on what you're going to be doing. So what Mm. I mean by that is like, Third year is just more first and second year. And obviously I have way more to learn. You know, I'm not saying I don't, but I feel like it'd be really nice if your third year, like say you want to do sports med, you get to do a lot more sports med stuff. Cause like, for example, you know, um, most of our residents are still doing OB and a lot of them are not going to be doing OB. So instead of doing OB, why don't you do more of your sports med or like if you're interested in more psych, spending more time doing that, you know? So at least for family medicine, I do feel like wellness would be, better achieved if you could have more um, say in what you actually spend time learning, at least in your third year. I totally understand having requirements, having, you know, things you need to learn and be competent as a family doc. But the reality is the majority of people in family medicine, they're not going to be doing everything because you just can't do everything, in my opinion. You know, like, like, I love knowing OB, but like, I'm not an obstetrician. So it's like, I, you know, and um, some of my, my co-residents are getting good at doing scopes, like endoscopies and colonoscopies, which is great, but like, I'm not a GI doc and I'm not going to do that. So I don't need to spend any of my time doing that. So, um, I think it would, I know that I would be happier if I got a little bit more say in what I did with my time and felt less like I was working for, you know, cause I know I get that residency, like you said, is like a whole, you need to be challenged and you need to be stretched, but it, sometimes you just feel like you're being used rather than training for what you actually want to do, if that makes sense, because the, the residency or the hospital needs to be doing something, but you're like, that's not actually not in line with my educational goals, you know? So, right. Um, and everybody's program might be slightly different. And I, I feel like I'm getting a good education. So I'm not dissing my program. I just know that like, I feel like I'm going to be graduated and not having learned some of the things I would have liked to have learned as a resident. Mm, I hear you. That is a good point. You know, yeah. I guess if, if if I were to answer that same question, mm-hmm. um, you know, it sounds a little weird, but I actually think it actually comes down to money. Um, you know, I think about, you know, look, residents, and we always like to say we, we don't get paid well, which is true. You know, for the amount of hours we get paid, we certainly don't get paid very well. But then if you take a step back, you know, uh, I live in Philadelphia. My resident salary, you can look up online, so I might as well disclose it. It's like 67000 or something. Like, it's still like a good wage, you know. Uh, the average median income in this country is more or less right around there. The average medium income 
uh, even in the state of Philadelphia or the city of Philadelphia is maybe a little bit more than that, but it's still a reasonable wage. What I think it comes down to is the amount of hours, right? You know, so for that wage, you know, you sometimes have to put in a tremendous amount of hours. And what I feel like the downstream effects of that are is people do have to put their families on hold. Perhaps they can't afford to have child care. Perhaps they can't afford to live in that area that, um, you know, has adequate uh, schools that they need to, may need to access. And I also feel like if you simply look, look at it, you know, residents, I feel like a big part of resident dissatisfaction is they're working their butt off in the hospital. They're overtrained, in my opinion. I, I think that all residencies could be significantly cut down. So we're overtrained. And then, you know, we look at our colleagues who are working in the hospitals and most of the staff who work alongside of us are getting paid hourly more than a resident makes. And therefore, then I think that just inherently leads to this bitterness, this dissatisfaction, and then the, oh, I feel like I'm getting so underpaid. This is bullshit. So, you know, I think the one of the best ways to mitigate against that is actually rather than have Medicare uh, fronting most of our salary, that you know, these hospital systems should front in the bill and, you know, they clearly have the money if they're paying these other employees, those certain wages. Um, and I think that, you know, would that solve all the problems? Of course not. But I think that that would at least help move maybe this needle in the right direction. No, I completely agree. I mean, unfortunately, money is what drives this country so much of it. Yeah. But also, I mean, I, I agree with you in terms of just feeling appreciated and respected. That's that's a huge thing for me is sometimes I feel like, you know, I'm 33 years old and a doctor and not feeling like I'm treated like an adult. Um, right. So or getting paid for them out of, you know, training and hours. And, and, and it's just hard because when you're working as many hours you are, you know, you get burnout, you're tired, you don't have to see your family. And like you said, like put your family on hold, you know, and other things you want to do in your life that your peers who aren't in medicine are doing. But yeah. I know I made that choice and I and I do like my job and it is a calling. So it's all good. But I agree with you completely. Yeah, yeah I mean, it just, it just doesn't make sense to me that the income curve should go like this. And then all of a sudden, when you graduate uh, residency, it gets exorbitantly higher, like tremendously. And I, I do think, uh, you know, doctors, we can debate on a different podcast if, if they're compensated adequately. But either way, their uh, salary is going to go up. 3x, 6x, 7x, who knows exactly uh, after residency. It's like, why isn't that curve just a little bit more linear rather than this exponential growth? I think a linear curve, perhaps even having like a stipend when you're in medical school that these hospital systems can actually pay for some of medical school, maybe can perhaps pay a monthly stipend if you're passing medical school, right? I don't think you should get money if you're flunking out. Um, But, you know, there, I think that would lead to more satisfied physicians that could then maybe enter their career in a different place. Because I feel so many physicians, you know, we're both about to graduate residency soon. They graduate residency and they are purely focused on the money. And it's understandable, right? Because they've been um, financially disadvantaged for so many years. And I think that leads to worse patient care. I think that leads to dissatisfied physicians. And it just, yeah, that's my soapbox. No, a hundred percent agree. No, I, we could definitely have a long conversation just on that topic. So totally feel you. Yeah. So. Well, boom, that was uh 35 minutes. Um, I think we did great. I had a lot of fun. Is there anything here? Wait. Ooh, yes. Anything else uh, you want to share Megan? 
No, but uh, I just really appreciate you doing all this hard work, Logan, and uh, always happy to meet with you and let it be known. It's, we're, we're here. We're out here. Hell yeah. It. Out here doing it. Well said. Well said. Yeah. So I use a lot of those meetings. Could you hear those on your end? No, I couldn't. Oh, you couldn't? Oh, I was doing like clapping and drum roll noises and stupid shit. Oh, really? Shit on my... oh, okay. No, I couldn't hear that. <laughs> so you probably just saw me smiling awkwardly for no reason. Well, oh, hey, like... cheers. This was fun. Give it a five star rating. Send it to a friend.